Hello everyone, welcome to the Bechdel Hold. My name is Stephanie Chase and it's been a while, hasn't it? It has. It has been a couple of months, maybe, no, it's it's been like two months, really, uh, since the last time I did an episode. Um, It's 2024, I've not officially started 2024 yet so I'm not gonna say happy 2024 but you know maybe this is the first step of me actually coming into this new year but I thought after watching Dynamite last night I felt like okay maybe now is the time maybe now is the time I want to sit down and record something about Dynamite about AEW and everything. So here goes. Here goes nothing. Um, I haven't written any notes down about what I want to talk about at all. So I'm just going to riff and see how it goes and see who responds. But um, I figured if I was going to do this, I have to do it in the most comfortable way for me possible. So I'm in my mom's house still I've been here since before Christmas I'm just sitting in a chair to set the scene in my bedroom that I occupied as a teenager I have a WWE ring uh, filled with a variety of wrestlers in there I have a WCW ring filled with a variety of more famous WCW wrestlers. I have an entire collection of Undertaker memorabilia, some quite <laughs> bizarre Undertaker memorabilia that I bought um, the first time I ever went to America uh, as a kid with my mom and I made her buy me everything I saw with the Undertaker on it. I got like fucking undertaker flag i've got this weird thing where his eyes follow you across the room i've got all different kinds of weird figures and stuff of him um i've got for some reason i now currently have a wwe bed cover on my bed because my mom's never thrown it out i thought it'd be funny to put it on while i'm here i've got a ton of wrestling VHS is around me, old power slams. So, you know, it's all sitting around this stuff right now and getting ready to record about wrestling. I am an adult woman uh, in her 30s who um, kind of, I basically can't remember a time in my life that I wasn't a wrestling fan or didn't like wrestling or <laughs> specifically didn't know who Randy Savage was like I don't I don't remember life before that really um so I'm at the point now where I've been working in wrestling for a while I've been working in wrestling media I've interviewed a ton of wrestlers um, I've met many of my absolute heroes. Now, I've not met The Undertaker. I've not met The Undertaker. But I have interviewed his wife. 
but I haven't met The Undertaker. But, you know, I've met people like Triple H, who's a big part uh, of my fandom growing up. Um, I've been to lots of WWE shows as a member of the media, been to AEW many times, been to AEW shows as a member of the media, had access, had access with WWE, been to tons of fun things. I've worked for a wrestling promotion, you know, going Okay, time for a pause already. <laughs> Five minutes in, fuck. Oh my god. Okay, so what I'm trying to say is I've loved wrestling for a really long time. And a huge portion of that was loving wrestling with no one around me who felt the same way or who accepted me I spent a long time with no one you know to talk about wrestling to no one to even you know acknowledge or or validate my fandom or or feelings I spent a really long time like that Um, and I do feel that I have worked my way into achieving something for myself in a very tiny tiny small way I have managed to be a part of of the wrestling business a a tiny way you know I do a bit of writing I do some interviews not as many as I'd like to but I've done I've done well you know I've got a small following on, on Twitter small amount of people that watch my YouTube videos or listen to my podcast um, an amount of people that know who I am the fact that I have appeared on a wrestling show you know that's been on Fight TV and I like I'm talking about my work with with RevPro here if you're not familiar um that in itself even that in itself was a dream come true so this is a really odd way to start off a podcast I know but I'm just trying to set the scene of like stuff that I've been thinking about and I am really hard on myself and I think I've I've made a lot of mistakes and I've done like I've gone in my own way a lot a lot but there's a part of me that is is proud of myself and not just me being proud of myself but but younger me like please someone go back in time and tell you know tell like 11 year old me that I would meet Triple H one day. (laughs) That's big. She would never have believed it. Never. So I, 
end up on this tangent because I'm recording this in January the 11th and I kind of said to myself that I wasn't going to do anything in January, you know, um, and I haven't really done anything uh, for the past couple of weeks. This podcast, I started it just after All In and I was having so much fun doing it, like just putting all my thoughts out there, like saying whatever I wanted to say and talk about kind of shit that I want to talk about. I was having a tremendous amount of fun doing that. I went to Chicago for AW Dynamite for Survivor Series. I got to see Phil return. Absolutely best live wrestling moment I've ever uh, been a part of. Um, so I think I took like a week off before I went to Survivor Series because I had a lot to do to prepare for that trip. And then when I was there, like I didn't want to record because I was literally just having a great time in Chicago. And then I got back um, and the past um, maybe like two years I've had just a shitty time but the past six months it really like got worse um, and especially around the time of, of all in like I, I was going through a really bad time mentally um, and I got back from from Chicago and I was very like okay I want to record about how great Chicago was like about you know CM Punk in, in WWE um, all those things and I think that like some stuff happened um, that just made me so fucking angry that I didn't want to put my thoughts on tape because I was sick of it I was sick of being angry um and it does you know I said that like this podcast is called the fucking Bechtel hold right and I know people hate that name uh and I understand and it's definitely an outlet for me to talk about things that I think cons- concern women in general in this business um so you know aw took a f- massive fucking l when they when they hired rick flair but you know we have to be fair because wwe has got some not great people there too um uh but i think that after going to the dynamite in chicago and you know like all the rick flair fucking woo advertisements and stuff like that and then coming home and it wasn't long after that that rick flair did his like martyrdom woe is me post you know where he was like standing on on a ledge but like looking back to make sure he had all the boys telling him don't jump that kind of thing um which i did write about but I just didn't want to do a podcast talking about that stuff and getting even, you know, deeper into it um, and deeper into other things that were going on or people had said or stuff that we were giving a pass to that was just fucking pissing me off and um, I'm gen- like genuinely making me angry. And um, I don't really care who thinks that I take things too seriously that I get genuinely angry about that. Like I fucking do. It's just my personality. So I didn't record for a while. Um, and then sometime in December, I was just like, 
maybe I should quit being in wrestling um, and find another outlet for my creativity, like my writing. Um, I enjoy video making a lot and I have started making videos about things other than wrestling. But I kind of thought like maybe just like for my own sanity, like my own mental health, I need to just leave this whole world. And I didn't want to. <laughs> That's the thing. Like I really didn't want to because all that shit I told you before about um, how long I felt this affinity to wrestling is all like very real. And I... <sighs> I just did not want that to be my story. I did not want my, my story to be, and look, there are millions of uh, women all over the world who, who love wrestling. Um, but when I was growing up, I didn't know a single one of them. Um, growing up in, in Belfast, it's not easy being, you know, a wrestling fan in Belfast in general, but like, I didn't know a, a single one of them. And I didn't want like the story of this girl that, loved wrestling so much um and it was like just her absolute obsession then grows up becomes a woman and ends up having to walk away because she just can't deal with the shit that comes with being a woman in this business I did not want that to be my story so even though I was saying to myself you know you should consider quitting like I didn't want to I, I really really didn't want to and I don't want to so all this is to say is that I'm not quitting the wrestling business. I'm not. Um, I really want to stick around and I want to make things better. I want to try harder at things. I think maybe I'm going to have to be less combative in some ways, which kind of sucks. But like I also do want to, you know, be um, a bit of a conscience for people. But I have to also be less hard on and, and better to myself because that's the only way I'm going to survive. So I was going to take all of January off to make this decision about whether or not I should quit the business. But I'm back here now recording on the 11th of January because my mind is made up. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to persevere like no matter what um and you know some things did happen that have let me know that that have met, made me feel better about my ability to persevere you know but yeah but 2024 I haven't started it it's been um it's been a weird one I'm still in Belfast, as I said. My, I've got some like family stuff. Basically, my granny's in hospital. She's like, she's um, in her mid nineties, and she, she broke her hip, had a hip operation that was successful, but she's been in hospital since then. She, uh, the accident happened when I was in Chicago. She's been in hospital since then. Um and is you know it's been like tough for her um tough for her mentally and everything and I mean we went to visit her in hospital on Christmas day 
so it 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 was a weird Christmas. It wasn't the usual like family vibes. Um, I should go back to my home in Liverpool, but I'm not really sure like how much like longer I want to live there. So I kind of like just putting that off, and then there's work stuff too, and like other uh, other personal stuff, but. Most of January so far, I've kind of just not been really doing anything um, other than sleeping, hospital visits, and just trying to work out how, what I want to do and how best to do it. Still not totally sure where my talents lie, I'll say that. Still not totally sure where my talents actually lie. Um, you know, maybe my talent is just really loving pro wrestling. Like, who knows? But if you made it through that 18 minutes, fucking hell, 18 minutes of me being a crybaby bitch. Thank you. So let's get into some, like, actual wrestling talk. Um, firstly, like... I'm going to talk about Dynamite here. I'm not really going to focus on on WWE. Um, I will talk more about WWE uh, every week going forward. But right now, I don't really have anything to say other than I can't wait for the Royal Rumble. CM Punk's going to be in Royal Rumble. That's amazing. Um, that's kind of like my only thoughts. Him and Drew, that was awesome on Raw. Great stuff. Great, great stuff. So... Let's talk a bit about AEW. Let's talk about Tony Khan and let's talk about Dynamite. Um, and here's where I'll end up getting in trouble again. Firstly, for, let's rewind back. World's End was a bad pay-per-view. Flat out, bad pay-per-view. Two good matches, but couldn't save it. Um, I Before World's End, I thought the worst pay-per-view AEW had ever done was Double or Nothing. And maybe that was like... A bit of bias for like the fact that I was actually there and in the arena and I was just like this this kind of sucks and people aren't really into it so I, I thought that was the worst pay-per-view they'd ever done un- until World's End it was just like a mess a messy show but surprising ending MJ- MJF's no longer champion and I personally like I did not enjoy MJF's title run but I, I don't think MJF's a bad wrestler I don't think he's he's a bad character at all like I I adored MJF the character the character uh before this title run I really did um but this title run to me was bad it would it took the company in a bad direction but I don't I'm not like oh I want MJF gone forever but we do need a break from him so I guess we want a break from MJF. But I think the only thing... I guess World's End adjacent. I just want to... I do want to talk a little bit about Tony Khan. Tony Khan's handling of stuff. Um, particularly... Regarding like the World's End scrum. And then his Twitter activity. Firstly, and I said this on the post-wrestling Christmas show, if Tony Khan asked me for advice, I would say, cancel the scrums. I truly don't think the scrums benefit anyone. Now, 
I'll say something about the media first. As a member of the media, as someone that gets invited to scrums, I think people's feelings towards the wrestling media, there's always been like bad feeling towards the wrestling media. People think the wrestling media is shit, all that. And it kind of came to a head um, with this scrum because there was... The day of the World's End pay-per-view was a, a serious day for AEW. And they were getting a lot of negative attention. So the focus was... There was a focus on the media to to make Tony Khan address things at the, at the scrum. And... The scrums are really difficult because Tony Khan and the wrestlers cannot agree what the fuck this thing is meant to be. Whether it's meant to be a performance where you have someone like Tony Storm or it's meant to be uh, people out of character. Like, for example, Julia Hart was not coming out doing her witchy gimmick but right before her, Tony Storm was doing her gimmick, which in the least offensive way is a ridiculous gimmick. So there's people bashing the media, their behavior, talking about who should be there, who shouldn't be there. I don't care who they invite to this scrum. I think that AEW from the beginning um, has been very lenient with who they've let into the scrums. Like, absolutely now i'm not saying it's only like the most the people from the most prestigious titles that should be in there um i think a lot of wrestling media should be in there i think people from bigger publications should be in there there is undoubtedly people in those scrums who would be better off buying a meet and greet ticket like the other fans and that's i know that's harsh but it's true. There are a lot of people like that. Um, and it definitely comes out when things happen. You know, uh, let me see. Who am I comfortable dunking on? Okay, remember the media scrum? <laughs> remember the media scrum when the bottle got hit? When John Muse got hit by the bottle? Right. I remember seeing a, a person on Twitter that was at the scrum that was like, I would have been honored to be hit by that bottle. That would have been the best thing of my life. I'm such a fan. And it's like, now you need your credentials revoked. You need your credentials revoked. But I think, um, I heard Rich Fan use this term and he didn't make it up, but I, I heard him use it today. Uh, there's a lot of fanalists in pro wrestling, you know, um, fans, who are analysts, they have a, a blog or in today's world it's more likely a YouTube channel or on YouTube channels. Um, and that's all great. And they, and I don't think like they all should be banned from there. But I think there's definitely people that are like too far in the being overly, acting overly like a fan, um, overly not like overly positive because absolutely like if they put on a great show like be positive if wrestlers have been a great done a great performance be positive but like particularly to Tony Khan or like overly sycophantic um and it's just not a good look but at the same time like can I even blame half these people when you have 
and I'm just using Tony Storm as an example. It's nothing against her. It's just that she has a strong character. But when you have someone like Tony Storm out there being Tony Storm, can I really hold it against people f for not being serious? Uh, though I would say, like, if I was there, I, I do hope that when Tony Storm said that you have to tell her your New Year's resolution before asking a question, um, I would hope that I had it in myself to to start my question to start my question then with hey Tony Storm my new year's resolution is to clean up the wrestling business anyway Mr. Khan um you know I hope I would have had the balls to do that but I do think the wrestling media gets a hard rap, a hard rap um and they don't they don't all deserve it some of them do they don't all deserve it we shouldn't all be taken be painted with the same brush but it's kind of the modern era you know like I went I studied history at university um, I did a postgraduate in journalism um, and obviously there's a lot of people that haven't done any uh, haven't well, any background in journalism whatsoever haven't taken a single day's journalism course in their lives and and it shows but you know you don't have to like you don't have to in this day and age but I do think that there is a lack of professionalism sometimes but I think it falls on AW as well because they need to decide what the scrums are going to be and if they're going to be serious then then um reflect it with how the wrestlers behave and with the the people you give access to and you know what maybe that means i'd never be on a scrum again like who knows but um uh, i've gone off track because it's all it's all a, a hard thing to talk about But it's like, and I don't just want to call out, you know, uh, or I'm not calling anyone out, but I just don't want to talk bad about, you know, people that are like at the the AW scrums because it's like the scrum people that always get it the hardest because everyone's watching the scrum after the pay-per-view and being like, ask Tony Khan about this like hardline question. And then it's all like, oh, all the people at the scrum have no balls because they didn't do that. Like, if you want an example of someone... <laughs> Um, just kind of being the worst with this kind of thing then look at the guy I think he was from like a Jacksonville station who interviewed Tony Khan this week and his bio on Twitter says that he's an Emmy award winner which fucking hell um, because he basically said to Tony Khan like everyone was talking about you at the world's end scrum and Tony must have been shitting himself, being like, what what hardline question is this man going to ask me? But instead, this man turns around and is like, you had that hat and glasses on. How did that happen? And it's like, dude, number one, Tony Storm put the hat and glasses on Tony Khan's head. That's on video. Okay. No one needs to be asking Tony Khan how the hat and glasses came on his head. It's on video. Tony Storm did it. But the reason why so many people were talking about Tony wearing the hat and glasses was not everyone going, oh my God, TK looks so funny. 
hilarious. It was the context of a question he was answering when he had the hat and glasses on and just like the general vibe of the night. That's why people were talking about it. And for you to ask that stupid question in a way which totally removes, you know, any of the the bad negative context, um, it's just truly some bad cowardly journalism. And maybe this guy had no idea about anything that was going on, going into World's End or... Maybe he never even looked at the scrum or read a single article about the scrum. Maybe he just saw a picture of Tony Khan in the hat and glasses and thought, you know what, I bet everyone's talking about this and I'm going to ask him, how the heck did those hat and glasses end up in your head? But to me, like that was an example of, of someone who should know better and someone who was using an opportunity they got, an opportunity to talk to Tony Khan, an opportunity that is, believe me, I've been trying for four years, very fucking hard to get. And you, you know, you, you, uh, it, you're unlikely to get it um, unless you, you look like this man in question. Um, but just to ask something like that, I just, I just thought that was so bad with everything that's going on. Um, and it, yeah, and you know what if you don't want to ask him about anything uh, controversial or difficult or uncomfortable then avoid anything adjacent to it like don't mention this don't mention the scrum and the hat and the glasses at all if you can't ask him a proper question about it if you're just going to ask him like a little fluffer to like let him know that you think he's really funny for having a hat and glasses on um and it wasn't just that question. He he asked this question regarding Ric Flair as well, which was a total joke. That was something along the lines of like, "Whoa, Ric Flair had it had it has had it really tough on social media, and he he put up a really sad post. and And how hard is social media for you? Like, dude, unless you're going to get into why Ric Flair gets a hard time on social media, don't mention that either. You know." So that was all really rambly. As I said, I hadn't written anything down. Uh, sorry about this, that. But that's kind of my thoughts on like the media stuff. And I'll add on to it. People posting on Twitter that they got credentialed for an event. There's nothing wrong with that. If you want to criticize the wrestling media for being bought or co-opted, um, this that you're, you're barking up the wrong tree there. I'll you, you know you are um I've been credentialed for WWE events in the UK and in the US they've never asked me to do anything um I got my Survivor Series credential without having to do anything um I've never been asked by AEW to do or post anything either um and I think that people are excited about getting credentialed for an event and I don't really think there's anything wrong with that at all and I thought that was like a a silly thing. It was almost like that Minnesota dinner I was at with like Sean Wassap, Denise, Cassidy, uh, John Alba, where people just like freaked out about that for no reason. Like people were like genuinely annoyed that people working in the wrestling media decided to have a dinner together. And it's like, you know, we do, um, we do talk to each other. You know, we do. That's not weird. Okay, so... Tony 
can't contact. <laughs> um, so, uh, Tony did not do a good job at the World's End scrum. And as I've mentioned, I th- I think he should cancel the scrums. It's in his best interest. I don't know who advi- who's advising Tony, but they should really make him think about this and think about optics a lot of the time. But he didn't do a good job at this World's End scrum. There is an argument to be made, and I've had it made to me, that Tony shouldn't have been asked not that he shouldn't have been asked because of course but okay we'll come back to that um but he shouldn't have had to comment on what was going on on twitter um on the saturday before world's end because there was no you know no kind of concrete thing that we were really asking him about it was all like rumor and and innuendo i totally get that argument problem is he was definitely going to be asked so he should have had something prepared and he should have been going into it really conscious that this was going to come up and that people felt strongly about it and felt it was serious. He should have walked into that scrum knowing that. And if you're going to walk into that scrum knowing that, A, have an absolute answer prepared for any question. And it should not be an answer as bad as what he gave his whole thing about aw being the safest company um that's such a bullshit answer especially because we all know what happened to all in and like allegedly he feels feared for his life well not allegedly like he said it he said he feared for his life so this whole like we're the safest company thing like that doesn't fly anymore that doesn't fly after what's happened in the past couple of months him mentioning that basically the policy in AEW is that if you have something to report his doors open that's fucking terrible terrible thing for him to say if you are if you're working somewhere like there's usually a HR department or some way in which you don't have to like directly go to your boss and tell them something and this could be anything, like it's not just sexual harassment, but anything. It is a lot to ask someone to knock on their bo- boss's door when they don't know who's going to be behind that door with the boss. And Tony's saying like, oh, any problem, bring it to me. Is It's just not enough because as much as he might want to think that he has like an open door policy and he's like the most accessible boss ever there are definitely people that don't have that level of access and like just won't be comfortable and it's a very hard thing to ask someone to do and especially when the people most likely to be raising an issue are much lower down the totem pole than the people they're raising the issue about so him up there being like any problems bring it to me whatever like that that just doesn't fly um, and I would have absolutely advised him not to say that at all because it makes the company sound like one that doesn't have proper structure. And, you know, we're not sure that it really does, but it, it really makes them, it seem like a not well-run operation. So Tony should have had prepared answers 
And I'm saying that as someone that if I was advising Tony in his his best interest, the company's best interest, he needed to have prepared answers. A hundred percent. The hat and glasses thing, right? Tony Storm put the hat and glasses on Tony Khan's head. We've we've all established that. And that guy from the Jacksonville News helped us figure that one out. But I think that on this night, if we're being logical, sensible, and considerate people, the, we would have had a little meeting, Tony Khan and whoever else wants to be there, whether it's people that work in public relations, people that work in legal, and been like, hey, there's an issue that's going to come up. So firstly, maybe tonight, Tony doesn't have to sit next to every wrestler at the press conference. Now, that's not something that Tony's been doing since the beginning of the press conference, but then he started it, and it's really uncomfortable because he's just sitting out there to get his own flowers, like, let, let's be real. Um, and it means that he's sitting there when shit goes down, like CM Punk um, brawl out, right? He's sitting there making faces and not reacting like a boss when CM Punk did something genuinely real. He also isn't reacting like a boss when stuff happens, like um, they shoot angles at press conferences. He also can't be a boss then. Um, So like the only thing consistent about these scrums is that Tony is like consistently has no authority. So I don't think it's in his best interest for him to like sit out there every time. He doesn't need to be next. He never needed to be next to MJF when MJF was like berating journalists too. Like Tony just should not be there. And maybe you'd then have a good separation between like this is the in-character bit and this is the real bit if Tony didn't desperately feel the need to sit out there like the whole time in the scrums. So yeah, I would have said number one, don't go out there from the beginning. You don't need to sit with Julie Hart. You don't need to sit with Tony Storm. If he was adamant that he needed to sit uh, out through those, um, I would have said, okay, well, like, let's not do the Tony Storm putting the hat and glass on your head thing. Or he should have had the wit to remove it immediately when that bit was done. The fact that he kept it on when she left was him not thinking. And it just really made him seem like he wasn't taking anything seriously. People were trying to ask him serious questions. And he doesn't take these things seriously enough to not have a fuzzy hat on his head when he's answering. Um, or, and not have prepared comments and statements. Um, which is funny because there are other things that have happened in, in AEW. Uh, like, for example, when CM Punk had the fight at Wembley, um, Tony came out at the beginning of the press conference and, and had a little statement about how he wasn't going to talk about it. So he took that seriously, but he doesn't seem to take other, other things seriously. And if you're going to have a critique of Tony that he feels when it comes to anything to do with women, he really makes it easy for you in these moments. He really makes it easy for you. And then we had this week having his little Twitter back and forth and like it is funny it's funny that he calls people out and like the Monday Night Wars were funny and yeah it would be funny if Twitter existed and Vince and Eric Bischoff had it in 1998 that would be funny but um it really is with Tony like the worst thing you can call him is a bad booker 
and he's not a bad booker because he didn't e-fed so he knows everything he's so defensive on that and he just doesn't show that same energy for for anything more serious and I do like I truly like I do like Tony and I do think he's he's a good person um but I wish he thought (laughs) I wish he thought more about how his actions uh, are perceived like optics and I, I did a joke tweet and it's not even a joke where I said like Tony Khan should hire a lefty liberal angry feminist non-turf woman like me because <laughs> even if he doesn't take my advice it might lead him to like a more middle ground than what we're getting with some stuff, you know. But I think that's all I have to say on those on those issues. But, you know, I heard someone say last night on the uh, Weird Keller's Dynamite post show that AW, there's a lot of issues um, and it's... It's not going to be one big thing that blows up. It's going to be a death by a thousand cuts. And I got to say, like, I do know what they mean by that. It's all these things that never fully get addressed, never fully get dealt with. And they just like build up and build up and build up because look at how he handled the punk stuff. Look at how he handled things before ball out that led to ball out post ball out that led to all in and where we're at now um lessons haven't been learned okay do you want to talk about dynamite i do i'm gonna keep this brief i can't believe i've been talking for like 40 minutes um that's great you know i've just been talking shit though and i've cried once and been um angry once and you know I've gone through so many emotions already just uh (laughs) you know talking about this okay firstly dynamite was in Daly's place and if I could ask for anything it would be a time machine (laughs) to take me back to 2020 even though it was a fucking pandemic and but to get that feeling about AEW back I want a time machine so badly. Um, I'll end up crying again. But AW Dynamite 100% got me through the pandemic. And it got me something. It, it gave me something to aspire to. Like it gave me an end goal. It gave me a like. If I can just get to being able to go to Dynamite. And I... You know, the first thing post-pandemic I went to was Full Gear uh, 2021. And then in February 2022, I made it to Daly's Place. And that was, like, amazing to actually go be there in person. So Daly's Place is in my heart. I mean, remember that Celebrate video they made after the pandemic? Well, that is, like, the most emotional wrestling video I've ever seen. I fucking love that video. So the fact it was in Daly's place, they had me. They had me by the heart. Then they bring out the handsome cowboy, Hangman. Absolute best decision. AEW is Hangman's story. And that's not me saying, like, 
you have other guys like just for example swerve is on the rise and he can absolutely be up there with hangman but never lose sight of hangman page and his position in this company because this company is hangman's story and it got derailed it got derailed when many ex-wwe stars became free including my fave cm punk like he helped derail hangman's story but hangman is the heart of aew he is the romantic lead of this promotion and we should never cast him aside so it was awesome to see him out first i thought him and claudio had a great match um just hangman page in daily's place it was giving me the feels it was giving me the feels and i was like okay we might be back um there was a lovely tribute to Brody lee as well um and then we had the match in tribute to Brody lee uh, orange Cassidy, adam copeland dustin rhodes preston vance taking on lance archer brian cage uh toa leone and bishop khan um i thought this was totally fine it was fun it was just like a good eight man um very early days of aw as well like the vibes were good at this point in the show like they were really really good then we had Samoa Joe's first promo as champion. Fucking loved this. Joe is so cool. And no offense to MJF, but some of my biggest problems with MJF was how pandering and desperate he always seemed. Like this is a guy who needs so desperately to be liked. Samoa Joe is too cool to care. He does not give a fuck what you think about him. And he's got that energy, that cool guy energy. Loved him coming out. You know, um, this whole thing about, like, who gets title shot. Very good. Yes. I wonder who's on the championship committee. Probably fucking Ric Flair. Um, and then Swerve 2024 will hopefully be Swerve's year. So it was perfect to have him out there. I think, like, Joe is probably going to be a traditional uh, transitional champion. And Swerve's probably going to be the guy. But it was great to see Swerve. Another guy that gives off too cool to care energy. But then it got even better when Hangman came out. And I was like, oh my god, gosh, they're factoring Hangman Page into things. Like, so cool. Because during Hangman's match, I was thinking, I hope Swerve comes out. Because I love that feud so much. But like, this, Hangman coming out there. Everyone did a great promo. Um, I'm so excited to see like what the Revolution match is going to be. Um, and where things are going to go. But Joe already, we're like, what, two weeks into his reign? uh he's already surpassed mjf's title reign like to me just one promo was awesome then hook came out you know i love hook you know it's not that he's like the the best wrestler on the roster or anything like that but he's has definite potential definite cool guy factor he's young he's modern only wrestler in the history of professional wrestling to actually dress modern um there's been all that shit on twitter with tony khan and jinder mahal and you know hook and um i think it's cool that hook's getting a title shot um does he deserve one who knows i mean he's got a great track record but you know who that kid ever beat but same time like i'm gonna enjoy the match and i really love the fact that we got we got swerve and hangman in the ring with samoa joe and then we still got hook coming out that was really cool um, I'm not going to go in depth on everything um, in the show. Okay. We took a downturn here. We had Sammy Guevara defeating Ricky Starks. 
I feel in my heart that Ricky's probably not going to be around for long in AEW, but I think that is said all the time. But I just don't think like his heart's in it right now. And it doesn't surprise me because I think he's been just fucked around a lot with the booking and, you know, even stuff like uh, Punk left when he was in the middle of feuding with with Ricky Starks. I think if I was him, I would feel a little down and Cody and Jade are over in WWE and maybe it's time for him to try that. Sammy Guevara, you know my feelings on Sammy Guevara (laughs) No one in the world gets more chances than Sammy Guevara. It's it's incredible how much rope this guy is given. Um, he, like, he's good. He's not a bad wrestler, but he has no idea how to wrestle for whether he's meant to be a heel or a babyface. He's got no, he's never able to control himself. Uh, he's quite sloppy. His character development is bad. But I do think that's because he's always been just babied by the company. And I mean, he's a grown man with a baby now. Um, so anyway, they had the match. It was fine. But I wonder if something happened to Ricky at the end. Because like the ending seemed really abrupt. Um, and it was just kind of odd. So I wonder if Ricky maybe got hurt or something. Or like just knocked a bit. I don't know. So then we had the post-match. Big Bill appears, beats down uh, Sammy Guevara after he shook Ricky Stark's hands. Then Judas hits. Jericho comes out. And Judas never stops. They do the New Jack thing. Now, this was a bit of a sneaky one because Judas, people singing... Judas was huge during the pandemic era huge because I'm pretty sure that the Jericho cruise where the singing Judas took off happened right before the pandemic like weeks before it so then when AW ended up stuck in in Daly's place people wanted to sing Judas and Jericho was a heel during then people really wanted to sing Judas it was a big thing everyone sang Judas in Daly's place whether you liked Jericho or not so they have like a plausible deniability of where they can turn around and be like, we kept Judas playing because the fans at Dilly's Place love it. And it was our homecoming and like, you know, the great vibes from our time at Dilly's Place when everyone loved singing Judas. But we know that's not why they kept Judas playing. Like we're not idiots. And I feel like that's just another bad look. It's like another thing of like optics, you know, Tony, optics. Um, You playing Judas that whole time just made people talk about why are they playing Judas that whole time and accuse you of reasons why you're playing Judas that whole time I don't think that was a smart idea I think it would have been better if if you're gonna have Jericho on TV have him on Dynamite have him wrestle he's wrestling Battle of Bells have him out in front of the crowd you're gonna have to take whatever comes with that so I thought the playing the Judas actually just made things worse I don't know whose idea that was um don't have anything to say about the women's tag match to be honest as soon as Soraya's music hits um I sometimes I think that if people are going to be willing to look into the Twitter accounts and the retweets and the likes of wrestlers wives who aren't public figures 
they need to keep that exact same energy over the vile shit that Ronnie Raddick says. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But, um, yeah. So, but I will say that um, absolutely watch the video of Anna Jay um, after this match is on AEW socials where she talks about Brody Lee, um, which is truly heartbreaking. And it, it was a really wonderful, wonderful clip. And I think very highly of Anna Jay, Thunder Rosa, Chris Statlander, Willow Nightingale, Julia Hart, Sky Blue, and Ruby Soho. Um, and I'll leave it at that. But yes, I did mean to rewatch this though. Um, Lottie Strong and Brian Keith, no real comments. People like Brian Keith, good for him. Uh, we had then the, this is when we had the, the fucking Adam Cole, Undisputed Kingdom, whatever they're called, come out. Um, I really wish like the devil storyline, just like after the reveal, it was, it was dead. I don't really see anything good coming of this. Um, Adam Cole, look, interviewed him uh, multiple times, have met him. Seems like a lovely guy. I get why everyone loves him. Uh, not a great actor and was involved in the two worst feuds of 2023, in my opinion. Well, worst storylines. Him and MJF, all the Bochacho shit, and uh, him and Chris Jericho, uh, diabolical feud that I'll never get over. So, um, I have not been high on him in AEW so far and this devil thing does not help. Wardlow, I don't know what's wrong with this guy. I feel sorry for him. He was out there in like sweatpants and this t-shirt, this like sweater that said like wolves on it. Not a sweater, a sweatshirt looking all messy and he just looked sad. And if you're going to have Wardlow in this group, he should have been, when they took those masks off, there should have been a pause for Wardlow to take his mask off because everyone else, Roddy, uh, Roddy Strong and uh, Matt Taven, uh, it's like, yeah, we all knew you were the gang. Um, yeah, what odds? But Wardlow, like that should have been like the big one, like someone from MJF's past with a real connection to MJF who knows inside MJF's head and who MJF has fucked over and who has beaten MJF is part of this group shine a spotlight on this guy but Wardlow looks like he could not be arsed Wardlow looks like he woke up in the clothes he was wearing last night fell asleep on the sofa woke up got out of bed put on some flip-flops and went to the corner shop to get a packet of cigarettes that's what he looks like um and I don't think this storyline's gonna do him any favors so then we get to the main event, Sting and Darby Allen with Ric Flair defeat Powerhouse Hobbs and Takeshita. Sting, please stop trying to kill yourself. It's not worth it. Um, I thought this match was absolutely fine. Uh, some great spots in it. Darby's crazy and Sting is just total has been totally crazy this whole AW run. I think it's only going to get worse as we go down to his final matches. Ric Flair, of course, fucking horrendous. Like they truly saved all the problematic people for the second half of this dynamite and that's the problem with the show first half like the feeling was back with me second half I was back to having to be like an angry person um honestly thought Rick like Rick looked like he could not get out of that ring like he'd forgotten how to get out of a wrestling ring he shouldn't be out there Persting having to carry this on his retirement 
Um, wouldn't surprise me if Sting comes back in four years and decides he wants to do his retirement again with like no one problematic near him and not being adjacent to any bad situations. Um, but yeah, match was fine. And then we had the reveal of the Young Bucks at the end. Uh, they looked wild. Um, interesting facial hair and all that. Uh, the Young Bucks, uh, Sting's final opponent, Sting and Darby, obviously. You know what? I, I'll take it. But I will say that this should be a really big deal. Sting's final match. It is a really big deal. And, you know, I talked at the beginning of this of this podcast about how long I have how long I've um been watching wrestling and Sting has been on my TV the entire time I love Sting I'm actually recording this in my Sting sweatshirt so Sting's retirement is a huge deal it's unfortunately like soured by Ric Flair but if we just take Ric Flair out of the equation I hope the Young Bucks are able to give Sting the storyline send-off that he deserves because sometimes the Young Bucks, especially recently, cannot be arsed, cannot be arsed being there. I don't think they've ever truly been arsed being there, um, but they don't seem to try. And they are fantastic, fantastic wrestlers and one of the greatest tag teams of all time. And when it comes to in-ring, you can't take anything away from the Young Bucks. They are incredible but when it comes to all this, the week to week, the storytelling, all of that, they can be lazy as fuck. And I hope they don't do that to Sting. But I am not pissed at all that the Young Bucks will be uh, Sting's final opponents. Um, I know a lot of people thought singles match with Darby made sense. It does, but Sting hasn't done a singles match. And maybe it's better off for him that he doesn't. And it's probably very, very important for him to have a really good last match. So if he wants to do this tag match, in my mind, Sting can do whatever he wants Ric Flair can but Sting can that's all the AEW talk I, I just want to say one final thing um I talked earlier in the podcast about working for RevPro and Mad Kurt passed away um just over a week ago and I just want to say how truly sorry I was to hear the news that Mad Kurt that Curtis um was no longer with us um I'm not someone that can express these thoughts on Twitter and I can't really express them here either but my heart goes out to everyone in the RevPro family um to Curtis's family and a couple of days ago I was looking at messages we'd sent to each other exchanges that we'd had and when I started with RevPro it was when the pandemic was still happening that I did my first RevPro show and Kurt was like the first person that made me feel that I was like part of the team like part of the family he was a truly great guy a truly funny guy um so wonderful to talk to just an absolute ray of sunshine and I really can't believe he's no longer with us and I just reading like messages between us it 
brought so much stuff you know back to me that we talked about like we had some really funny conversations some even like you know serious conversations too um I remember when I was trying to push to him that we could be Mad Kurt and Psycho Steph. Uh, <laughs> luckily, that never happened because I would have been terrible. But I was so happy to see as well how much the fundraiser for him um, raised too. But I just wanted to share my love for Mad Kurt and my condolences to everyone. And um, I'll never forget Mad Kurt because you know I told you earlier in this podcast how important it was for me to work RevPro and I cannot think about working RevPro without thinking about Mad Kurt so rest in peace Curtis and this has been I will admit this has been a very manic up and down getting all my thoughts out uh podcast and if you made it through this whole thing um credit to you absolute credit to you thank you and when i publish this i will be extremely embarrassed about the first 20 minutes of this podcast know that like i feel the embarrassment but i had a lot of stuff i wanted to get off my chest so anyway I will hopefully be back with you next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you if you've ever supported me in any way, whether it be a follow on Twitter, a like on YouTube, um, a listen on the podcast, whatever. Thank you. It really means a lot to me and it helps me to continue growing. Thank you all for listening. Goodbye.